Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the podcast that takes place right here between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake. And I'm Brendan. And today we are covering King Domino, another Bill DeYara's winner uh, and a Bruno Cathala design, one of our very favorite designers here on Decision Space. So it's definitely a good day for the podcast. How are you doing today, Brendan? Woo! I'm throwing like verbal confetti into the air because I'm really excited to be covering a Bruno Cathala game. I'm doing good. How are you, Jake? I'm doing awesome. And, you know, part of the reason for that is we finally achieved something with the podcast that we've really been gunning for since the very beginning. Uh, it's, it's, it's a huge monumentous thing. So I really want to give it its due credit and just take a moment to share that we got our very first review on Apple Podcasts. Let's go. Uh, and I'm going to read it out here. Uh, so, so here's the review from uh, Not Me Chave is the name. And the review is titled Fantastic Show. And the review is I love decision space. <laughs> Let's go. That's the kind of review we're looking for. Five stars, succinct to the point. Thank you, Notchave. We really appreciate it. And it's awesome hearing that you love decision space. And thanks for taking the time to review the show. It it does a lot. We actually, I think, have seen a bump in in listens, thanks to maybe the algorithm on Apple Podcasts promoting the show a little bit more thanks to people like you going on and reviewing it and giving it five stars yeah i don't know how all the inner workings that work but it does some people have shown up in our discord recently saying this show just showed up in their feed which you know if that happened to you and now you're here that's great um but i would like to you know assuming uh, we get more reviews you know whether it's on apple Podcasts or in our discord or on reddit or wherever you know if we find them uh, i think we, we're going to try to you know read them out on the air to uh, encourage others and, and also just to thank you for taking the time so that out of the way brendan what do you say we jump into our uh ratings and slogans for the game we're reviewing today king domino sounds great i'm gonna kick it off Playing King Domino feels a bit like running into your best friend from elementary school who moved away in fourth grade. Familiar, delightful, and yet totally someone, or in the case of King Domino, something new. King Domino can feel a bit like two games in one. There's the charming, if not a bit wanting, three and four player, five by five tile variants that are as approachable as it gets. And then there's the seven by seven mighty duel variant, a game with such simple rules, but such enormous depth, the better half of 50 games in, I'm still getting my footing against the kings of King Domino. The multiplayer variants are suitable workhorses and distractions, solid 7.5s, but the addictively sharp mighty duel, that's a nine for me, Jake. Wow. So is that like a split rating then? You're kind of giving it 7.5 yeah. for the multiplayer uh, and a 9 for the two-player variant. Totally. That's interesting, and it's something we've seen kind of a lot uh, on some of the games we've covered, right? Where, we, you know, we talked about on Star Realms and Villagers as well, uh, that, you know, these are games that, sure, you can play with more people and, and might have some fun doing that, but two players where it's at so is that another one for you that's kind of falling in that camp i think that's right i also thought you were going to say me being resistant to doing ratings in a way that is like standardized with how they fit but i think that's definitely true in this case yeah i i think we'll get into this more in the show but i think king domino at three and four players is like totally fine i'll play it anytime someone suggests it 
But like for me, it's the, the Mighty Duel is the game and it's a good one. All right, well, I'll go next, being as I'm the only other person to go, <laughs> and you've already gone. Uh, so for me, my slogan is uh, King Domino is an elegant, easy breezy game that is perfect to enjoy over a cup of coffee on a Saturday morning, to start out a game night with while waiting for others to arrive, or to teach the people in your life who are unfamiliar or even taken aback by all the board games on your shelf. The simple draft keeps things nice and interactive without being overwhelming. The spatial awareness puzzle of uh, domino placement is fun, and it offers plenty of skill ceiling for people who want to really spend time to master the system without really feeling like you need to do that for everyone else. Uh, But the thing I really love is just the satisfaction of looking at my completed board at the end of the game with the delightful art. Uh, and just kind of enjoying what I've accomplished over a really just quick, quick play time of, you know, 15 minutes or so. Um, so for me, this game is an eight. It's really in the S tier uh, among the games in my collection, the games I've played for introducing to new people. Um, and for that, it's one, you know, I wouldn't ever want to have a collection without it. Nice. That's awesome. I feel like, so basically you split the middle between my two ratings, right. which, which is probably what I should have just done. But I share your sentiment too of just looking at your board so much at the end. Like I never knew that I would love windmills so much, but grinding the game lately, I'm like, ooh, windmills. I'm so fond of these. Yeah. And one thing you said in, in our kind of talking about this game in our Discord uh, prior to this episode is like the art in this game is low-key amazing. And I just yeah. think that perfectly sums up because you know the production isn't like over the top amazing i mean it's it's perfectly adequate uh the tiles are you know nice and and uh kind of glossy but there are just like these delightful little touches in the art that like the game doesn't need to have but having them in there just really does take the fun factor up a little bit blue orange the publisher of the game does such a good job consistently with the art and their presentation like one of their other games blue lagoon the renner kinesia game i think that's another game that's just elevated by its art and presentation so much and it's simple simple little touches all right well before we get uh too too far into this conversation first let's let the pre-planners know that next week we're going to be covering uh it's going to be a what we talk about episode discussion topic tbd uh, but following that we've got Praga, Kaput Ragni scheduled as uh, one we've both been playing a ton on Yukida, which has a fantastic implementation. You can play for free there. Following that, Spirit Island, the first cooperative game we'll be covering on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So, you know, two awesome games coming up. If you haven't already subscribed to our show, you know, throw it in, in a subscription in the feed because I don't think you're going to want to miss any of these upcoming ones. And then with that, let's do our rules overview of the show to give people who maybe haven't played King Domino or Unfamiliar a better idea of what's going on before jumping into the rest of our discussion. King Domino is a tile-laying game comprised of 48 tiles ordered numerically from 1 to 48. Each turn, four tiles are randomly selected and laid out on the table in ascending numerical order. These tiles depict a combination of six terrain types, forest, fields, water, grasslands, wastelands, and mountains. Most tiles depict two terrain types, one per square of each tile, and some depict crowns, endgame scoring multipliers for the terrain type they're tied to. 
In turn, players select one tile from the four turned up at the start of each turn to add to their kingdom by marking it with one of their meeples. In the two-player version, two tiles are selected by each player. Then, once each tile is claimed, four new tiles are revealed and again ordered in numerical ascending order. Starting with the player who selected the first tile, they place that tile into their kingdom and may only place it such that it connects to at least one existing matching terrain, forest to forest, field to field, and so on, or is touching their starting castle. After placing this tile, they select one of the four new tiles, placing their meeple on it, selecting a tile and effectively a spot in the turn order for the following round, one of the most important decisions in the game alongside where to place your tiles in your kingdom. Play continues until all 48 tiles have been selected, then players earn points for each matching continuous area of terrain equal to the number of crowns in it multiplied by the number of squares in it. Players sum each contiguous area of terrain in their kingdom, and the player with the most points is declared the victor. Thank you, Brendan. As always, awesome job with the rules overview. So we are talking about King Domino today, designed by Bruno Cathala of so many awesome games, fame, Kanagawa, another we've covered on the very first episode of this show, Five Tribes, one that just missed the cut for my top 10 games of all time, Mr. Jack, Seven Wonders Duel, the list goes on and on. Yeah, Shadows Over Camelot, Cyclades, Mission Red Planet, and like 40 other games. His his breadth is really impressive too. Like Cyclades is such a different game than Kanagawa, than King Domino, than Shadows Over Camelot, than Seven Wonders Duel even. It's, he's like such an impressive designer. Totally agree. Uh, and, and it's another impressive design. This one came out in 2016, uh, as we've already mentioned, is for two to four players. And it was the winner of the Spiel de Yars in 2017 uh so that's pretty impressive uh you know a lot of people consider that to be the most important board game award out there uh the german board game of the year that is uh and do you want to go ahead and read the jury statement for for this one yeah this is becoming my favorite part of any spiel dr's winning episode where we get to read the what the jury actually said when they awarded the spiel dr's so here's the jury statement for king domino king domino lifts the time-honored principle of dominoes to a new level without losing any of the sleek elegance of its predecessor on the contrary, the dual mechanics of the planning, the far-reaching land surrounding the castle, and the clever method of selecting tiles fit together extraordinarily well. They're expertly reduced to their essential components. The strong two-player variant with an XXL kingdom, I think that's a funny translation, they just mean the <laughs> mighty, mighty dual variant, rounds off this quick and easy-to-learn gaming experience. I don't know why it's not an XL kingdom, it's an XXL kingdom. It Well, it does feel like way bigger than the it base does. game when you're doing the 7x7, seven seven, so I agree with that. The, X, the double X is fitting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's so funny reading these reviews. I always just kind of like laugh at how buzzwordy they seem in some ways uh when, when you know sort of in this world of board game criticism or whatever but on the other hand right this is like 
if anywhere should be generating buzzwords that we're all following, it makes sense that it's the spiel. Oh, it's you know, I even said elegant in my own synopsis. Dang it, you know. <laughs> I like that they fit sleek and elegance and both in, and they are describing King Domino, but they're also just describing dominoes themselves. Right. It's also they're usually like on the nose, like the dual mechanics of planning the far-reaching lands and the clever method of selecting tiles. Like, yeah, that encapsulates King Domino perfectly. Like it is those. It's the relationship between those two things that becomes so magical. Yeah. And what is elegance if not something that is expertly reduced to its essential (laughs) component? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you can really just stop there. That pretty much says it all. But we're still going to give it our decision space treatment where we look inside the decisions of the game and try and kind of see if we can come up with a deeper perspective that might help you better understand if this game would be something you want to check out if you haven't, or maybe just think about it a different way if it's one you already have played and and enjoy. Uh, So let's start with characterizing the decision space with the size and type. Yeah, totally. So one thing that's really interesting is when you first start playing King Domino, I feel like the decision space doesn't feel huge. Um, You're always presented every turn if you're playing the two-player variant with a choice of four tiles that you're going to pick two of, or the two- or three-player variant, a choice of four tiles. But that's only if you're going first. Sometimes you have even fewer choices to make, right? If you're further behind in the turn order tempo, the number of choices that you're choosing between tiles is even smaller. And then there's the tiling decision of where to place your tiles, which that could grow or shrink enormously based on how many valid places you have, depending on like, okay, do I have... 10 locations where I could place this forest tile, or do I just have one, you know? But overall, I think it's actually a fairly large decision space for the size of the game. I think we're not talking some crazy huge splatter decision space or something, but it's unassumingly large given its size, like medium, and it's a waning decision space for sure, right? The number of spaces by the end of the game, you're literally trying to tile a five by five or seven by five grid. Um, You don't we'll get into this later there's like some variants where you don't have to play with those rules i think for the conversation maybe we can assume you're playing with the harmony variant which means that you're always trying to make a square of five by five or seven by seven tiles i think that creates a much more interesting play experience um so you're always waning and the available tiles are always waning as well so it is sort of that shrinking decision space where your options are being pruned well like most waning games a lot of the decisions in the game are about fighting that tooth and nail as much as you can and trying to stay open both in what could come out in the draft and with where you could place your tiles when you draft them such that you never get boxed into a corner too soon. I am really interested to hear you talk a little bit more about why you think it's unassumingly large. Because for me, the decision space in this game is like necessarily small because of what you're point out about the draft, right? You have yep. max a maximum choice of, you know, four tiles, but more often it's going to be less. And then, you know, very frequently you're going to be considerably constrained based on, you know, the rules about tile placement, right? Where you have to match at least one like side with another like side. Uh to to where I feel like, you know, at the very beginning of the game, if you go first, you'll have four choices and then you'll have of tiles and then you'll have four possible placements for that tile and of course you could i guess switch the side so you know if if we're just doing similar arithmetic sure it's adding up 
But that's about as big as the decision space is ever going to be over the course of the game. Uh, so I'm wondering, are you? do you think you're confounding interesting decisions with large? I don't know. I think that's interesting. Well, okay. That was a bad response because I don't necessarily think I'm confounding interesting and large, but I do think your question is interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> when, so when you're, that's, there's two pieces because it's, there's basically two dual spaces like this review from the jury statement set. So I'm going to tackle the first one first, which is drafting and then the tile placing. So in drafting, you, like you said, Jake, at most you have four choices, usually fewer. And in terms of decisions, you might have even fewer Generally not, though. Generally, your choices in the tiling phase are decisions. So we should say, just to be clear, if people haven't been following along the show, when we use the word choice, that's something you can do. When we're talking about decisions, those are viable choices. So what you're saying to translate is in the drafting phase, typically all of the tiles you could choose to take are viable decisions to make. and partially that's because of the the brilliant design of how they're ordered with the numbers on the back, because you're always choosing, if you were just picking tiles, I think the decisions are so much less interesting, but you're picking your current tiles and you're picking your opportunity to pick better tiles later. So on any given randomized flop of tiles, like yes, the decision of which tile you want the most is fairly straightforward based on your board. Um, the crown system and scoring makes it a little bit fuzzier where, you know, it, you can see what gives you the most points right now, but you have to wonder what's going to give you the most points based on how many crowns you get for scoring later on. That complicates it some, but I think it's so it's a deep decision space and fairly large because you're also every single time deciding, is this good enough or do I want to risk taking a worse tile knowing that I need to get a shot at the better tiles later? And I think that decision space is actually really large in terms of there's also the four slots so like okay i'm choosing do i want to take this tile in slot one knowing that i don't really want the tile but i can probably find a place for it and it will give me a shot at a decision on the next flop of tiles that could be vastly important okay no what about the second tile is the second tile better enough than the first tile that i'm okay giving up the first choice and then i'm happy to have the second choice so i feel like it feels straightforward but it's actually like if you're willing to go there and really think critically about the tile pool and what's still out, um, the more I've played, the deeper it feels. And that's always, I feel like, a hallmark of when we are talking about larger decision spaces and things that feel unassumingly small. The more you play, the bigger it starts to feel. And King Domino, I'm like counting windmills. I have a complete awareness of all the mountain tiles and how many there are of scoring and what they match with now, just based on how many I've played. And that has deepened the decision space there a lot. I, why don't you respond to that one because I've been talking a lot and then I'll talk about the tiling portion next. I think I mean I think that's really well said and you didn't even mention uh, a huge consideration when you know evaluating the each tile uh, presented to you which is what your opponent's tableaus yeah. look, what their boards look like um, because especially in in the mighty duel two player variant you know hate drafting becomes very important um as well. So that's just another kind of layer on top of all the decisions. Uh, uh, you know, what does this do for me? What will it allow me? What opportunity will it afford me in the next drafting phase? Uh, and how good is this tile for my opponent? Um, and so, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's tons to think about there. So I think what we're kind of hitting on is this dichotomy between number of decisions, which is 
necessarily small. And I think to me, that does place an important kind of limiting factor on how big a decision space is. Uh, because, you know, you can go back and forth. You can think for a long time on each of these things. And there's a lot to consider, which I agree. And that's an important component of, of this too, the depth within these decisions you're making. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're still picking, you know, one out of four. And then, you know, you're going to be placing it in your tableau in only one of a few available spots. So, and I, I should say, I agree. It, it's a bigger decision space than, than you would expect from such a, a simple rules set in such a small game. But that doesn't necessarily, the size of the overall game doesn't necessarily impact the size of the decision space itself, but it does impact like, oh, wow, this is packing a bigger punch than what I might have expected. Definitely. But I do feel like this part is the smaller portion of the decision space. <laughs> <laughs> and, but also to respond to one thing you said about hate drafting, in King Domino, because of the first in, first out of drafting tiles, you also have to like pre-hate draft. So you're like, as much as you're evaluating what is going to be, how beneficial could the tiles that come in the future be for myself, you're doing that same thing for your opponent. So it's just another thing to juggle mentally at the same time of like, you could have everything you need and know that no matter what comes out, you're going to be fine. But there could be that one that one windmill. There's like five in the game. That one windmill, if it comes out and your opponent can link together two sections of their grasslands tiles, their planes, excuse me, or their wheat, their yellow, whatever, and it could give them 20 points, then that becomes a huge consideration, like you're saying. But what, the tile, sorry, go for can it. Can I just ask, I inter interrupt you to ask, like, what do you mean when you keep saying... I hope this is not a dumb question. No, no. That's, what do you win? What are you talking about windmills for? Like counting? Oh, sorry. Thank you. The windmills <laughs> just denote crowns on the yellow tiles. Okay. So I've just come to associate the windmills with like these okay. are scoring in the wheat fields. Think that's like, but they're literally crowns. Yeah. Thank you. That's a really important clarification. I just want to make sure that this is not another example of me like fundamentally <laughs> misunderstanding the game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I guess I've just played it so much that now I've shorthanded the windmills because that my brain just is like, is there a windmill on these tiles? Because it always accompanies a crown. Um, yeah, yeah. so it. it's really the crowns that I'm talking about. Sorry, that's such a good and important clarification for the sake okay. of this conversation. All yeah, right, please continue. And then there's the thank goodness you're here. I'm a little yeah. Then there's the tiling consideration, which I feel like is massive. Um, the um the ways in which I've when you first start playing King Domino, it feels like there aren't that many... Your ability to see how you could tile your board to create opportunity to place tiles always and stay really, really open will also, because of the way the crown scoring works, right? The number of crowns you have multiplied by the number of contiguous spaces of that same type that you have, you want really big areas of all the same tile types with lots of crowns within them also. So it's... I think early on when you're playing, it's hard to see how you can lay them out where you could stay open and create these really discrete bunches of different types on your board. And the more I've played and the more I've played against really, really good players, whether that's people like Ender in our Discord, who's like in the top 10% of players on BGA, or when I've been lucky enough to play against top 10 players, the way in which they approach it and lay things out, the decisions they're making are just on such a different level because the math of tiling these five by five or seven by seven spaces and the number of possibilities you have is just so huge that the choices I feel like are just 
massive, massive. And the the castle being there too, and that being wild, adds even more of like, do I want to try to link these tiles to tiles I've already placed? Like say I draft a, a double tile, so it's two forest, and then the next one comes out is forest water. Um, do I want to connect that just to the forest or do I want to connect the water to my castle blocking? I, there's so much to think about as every turn you're shaping your board space. Definitely agreed. And you, you shared one of the uh, kind of a, a game you played against a top level player. And it really was mind blowing how they constructed their board, because I think most people's instinct is certainly was mine when you start playing this game is to just kind of like start from the middle and like build out mm. piece by piece, um, you know, so to kind of slowly build like one clump. But this player was really like snaking out individual kind of tiles, uh, which seems like, you know, to, I guess, the uninitiated, it would really be limiting them in some ways because they would need to have very specific tiles to fill in gaps that they're leaving in their board. Um but the game system really does provide you a lot of flexibility in that you don't have to match all sides. Yeah. Um, so to where, you know, uh, seemingly closed in and limited space, if, if one of the sides touching it is uh, planes, then, you know, you have half of the potential tiles in the game are going to be able to fill that gap, uh, you know, which is kind of then bringing in more knowledge of you know the tile pool and, and all these other considerations that definitely do serve to make this game have a really significant skill ceiling for those interested in, in kind of going for that mastery um, like you're talking about here especially if you're playing with like we said earlier the harmony variant where you're trying to create a perfect square whether it's a perfect five by five square a perfect seven by seven square and also the center kingdom variant where you're trying to have your castle in the middle i think those really amp up the depth and yeah like you said jake it's when you first start playing you just try to like i feel like that base level heuristic is like oh i'll just build out until i fill this space and i'll connect the things that are like the things and that'll be good um and then the more you play the more you realize no the more actually available outside space that i have if you just counted each sort of square outside of a dom of one of the dominoes as a unit of space, the more space you have, the more potential you're going to have to put them in a beneficial space area. And then it's also like, for me, I can tell that I'm like getting too into the weeds here right now, but this game has just melted my brain because there's also the consideration of placing them vertically in the plane or horizontally. And you have to do that in the seven by seven variant and the five by five to tile it perfectly. So figuring out how to do that to get them to all fit in. I, I don't know. I hear what you're saying about it not feeling like a really big size. Also, we've talked about that. We've been characterizing the decision space for like 20 minutes now, which I think speaks to how strong in terms of the decision space of the game it is and how sort of unique it is in terms of decision spaces that we've talked about. Do you agree, though, I guess, as we kick this show on the road, that it's a waning decision space, at least? Yeah. And I, I think the fact that we've been talking about this for so long is definitely a point in your favor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it, I definitely agree that it's waning. I think that is pretty clear. Um, yeah. both in terms of tiles in the deck that could potentially come out and, and space that you have on your board overall. So I agree. And one thing I want to talk about, though, that you just brought up uh, has to do with, you know, the tile placement portion of the game and how there are like discrete and 
different builds to be able to achieve that harmony variant. Like there are, and, and I think that's just kind of like an interesting, like hidden kind of thing in this game where it's, 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 we should say it's much, much easier when you're just doing a five by five square than it is with the seven by seven. But even within that, there are like specific patterns that you can create uh, to make sure that it's possible to achieve that. And it, it's something that, you know, I did when I was learning this game. And when I've, I've taught this game to so many kind of like new occasional gamers in my life, where it's like almost more common than not that somebody will start out with this game and they will make a, a choice, we could say, that is going to make it impossible for them to complete that harmony, which means they'll have to be discarding uh, tile uh, by the end of the game. Uh, so I just think that's a really kind of interesting component of this uh, that is going to, you know, and I think it's even more significant for the mighty duel. Like once you figure out what the patterns are that are possible, it really takes a lot of the strain off of like your, uh, your like mental calculations. Uh, and you can kind of think more about like, okay, placement for maximum points without like worrying all the time. Like, okay, wait, if I do this, am I just like, act like actually eliminating the possibility that I'll be able to finish this off? Correctly. Yeah. One thing that's so interesting that I think is making our conversation harder than a lot of games we talk about and also makes King Domino unique among board games that I have in one specific way is the visual element I think makes for a skill testing type of play that is so rare in board games um, where you could feasibly sit down and just practice tiling a five by five or a seven by seven grid by just drawing tiles to simulate the rest of the game. Most board games, when you wanna like practice and get better, you just play the game, right? There's no specific skills that you would need to practice outside of playing the game, testing your decisions. But here, you could literally just randomly take tiles and practice tiling a seven by seven grid with them and you would get better, right? And that's so interesting to me that it's this game that's so simple is one of the games where I could feasibly sit down and have fun with just practicing tiling a seven by seven grid without even playing the game. And that sounds fun to me because it's that skill testing, right? Like there's that much potential to get better. The The skill, uh, the learning curve is there. The depth is there and you can actually practice it and really improve. And yeah, you can also really fail, which I've done plenty of times. It's really hard, uh, you know, and I did not take out my game and, and practice doing that. But the first few times playing online, I was doing the Mighty Duel uh, with you and others. I definitely failed and I was just like, it's like surprisingly hard like to actually think through. And one thing I do when I'm playing this game in person, especially with new players, is I'll be like, here, take some of these tiles from mm. the box and keep them face down. So you can just like play with them and see if you can like figure out a way that you'll be able to finish your, your kingdom. Because I do feel like, I don't know, does that feel like wrong to you? Does, does that feel like that's taking away from the game? No, I think that's that's great. I think that's a really fun way to like learn at the game and sort of onboard. It's like this is another thing. Like that's a practice tool. Like in sports, right? You might use something to practice like I don't know, in baseball you're going to start by if you want to hit curveballs better, you're going to use someone who's pitching you wiffle balls just so you can trace the path. So like this is another example of like Jake, you're using the face down tiles to like as an aid to help people practice while they're playing. I think it, it emphasizes the point and it feels fine to me because people who are better than you can just mentally do that, right? They can just imagine them fitting in. I did if, find... Yeah, if, if to me, it feels like almost like an unfair advantage in some way if you just like already know some of these 
patterns. Definitely. I did find that, interestingly, and I think this emphasizes the point, because of the baby, I'll be up at like three in the morning sometimes while we're feeding him in the middle of the night. And occasionally I would take some turns in King Domino and my ability to tile the board effectively at 3 a.m. was vastly lower than my ability in the morning, you know, after a cup of coffee. And I think... Other games, I, I don't see the effects as much. Even like playing Praga, Async, I'll take turns in the middle of the night. And I think I'm making the best decisions for the most part there. But because of the skill testing nature of the tiling and the way my brain works, it's just really fun and really challenging in a rewarding way. Yeah, I, and I do think that's the way you mentioned the way your brain works. Perhaps there's a lot of people out here, or I'm sure there are, that will have no problem yeah, just like yeah, yeah. being able to like visualize these two by two tiles. <laughs> And create these patterns in their brain. But my God, I am not that person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's one of the coolest things about it, too, is so many games we talk about, I think, are challenging specific parts of our brains in the same way repeatedly. And this game activates some of those, but it's activating a lot of other spaces, too, in a way that I think is really fun and could be slept on. Definitely. I do think, like, when you think through, like, making decisions, I think that is... Like the big, like that is the feel for me a lot mm. of the time of like, yes, I want to consider like what might come next, but I feel I'm still like at a point playing this game where like most of my brain bandwidth is like, okay, especially when I'm playing, you know, online. And for me, it's a little bit harder to visualize the actual like physical space when I'm looking at my screen than when I'm looking down at uh, my table, my tableau in front of me for whatever reason. I feel like a lot of my bandwidth is taken up by like, okay, if I place that here, like just imagining like, okay, it's like two, two, two spaces here. I'll be able to like, okay, I'll put one vertically here and like two more horizontally here and that should work. Uh, You know, so this is an okay place. You know, that, that is that kind of puzzling out of this uh, tile placement part of the game is a lot of what my brain's doing when I'm making these decisions. I think importantly, too, we have to say that like this puzzle is made so much more complicated and so much more interesting because of the way the tiles themselves are designed, right? Like, I don't think you or I would have anywhere near as much of a brain melting uh, aspect to it if we didn't have the actual tile types and the crowns layered over them. Because part of the reason it's so tricky is because you're not just thinking like, okay, can I tile this right? But you're thinking like, can I tile this right with the tiles I think I might get and the tiles I want to get going into these spaces? which becomes even more important into the strategic considerations of what you are trying to build out and the spaces you're trying to build from these six different tile types. Yeah, I think we should move our conversation to talking about like the actual uh, way the tiles are designed and, and uh, I, I guess like knowledge of the tiles in the game because I think this is actually a really important uh, point that's going to make the play experience very different for like expert level players. You know, you put, you say you've played almost 50 times now. I've probably played it close to that, you know, although much more spread out over like owning this game uh, for, for quite a while now um, and new players. And I think it's particularly interesting here because this game is so great to play with new players. Uh, and, and I think that's like for, for me personally, it's like the, biggest value that it has in my collection is that I love teaching this to new people. Um, and like I said, in my kind of slogan, if somebody comes over and they're like, what the hell is all of this? Looking at my like Calix shelf of like a hundred games. I'm like, okay, I know the game for you. And it's like, yeah. 
it's King Domino if it's just one person. And it's probably Quicks if it's like three or four people. Um, but it's like those two are my very favorite. And in that situation, you can just throw out all of this, you know, discussion of, you know, the actual layout of the tiles because it's going to be just kind of like an unknowable thing for those players. And how amazing that the game that we've been talking about for now, like 10 minutes or whatever, about how skill testing it is, is the game that works so well for new players, right? Like that duality, um, that's a word that the was in the jury statement. That duality um, is so interesting and powerful. Um, and part of it, we talked about this all the way back in episode one, Bruno Cathala, Kanagawa, about the way that the deck or the tiles, whatever the the elements of play are, and how Bruno Cathala doesn't want you to know what's in it unless you need to know and, and you're at that level. He likes to obfuscate what's there, right? Like the rule book tells you roughly how many squares of each tile type there are, but it doesn't tell you like what the actual tiles are. You can find right. it online, but it's not something you need to, to know. And quickly as a player, you sort of get the feel because you're going through a hundred tiles. There's this huge volume in the game that like, okay, the, the wheat, the forests, and the water, those are the common ones. The grasslands, the wastelands, and the mountains are the less common ones in that order. Um, and then interestingly, the crowns, uh, so the scoring potential, they're about equal, even though the number of actual physical squares on the first five tile types, wheat, forest, water, grasslands, and wastelands, vary dramatically. The number of crowns are about the same. Um, so that really changes the feel of those, right? Like with wheat, it's really important to get a crown because there's only five of them, but there's the most squares of them in the game. So the scoring potential, if you can get the crowns is really high. The flip side of that is something like the wastelands where there's only 10 squares in the game, but six crowns. So that's really about like packing crowns into this small space. And then the mountains, of course, there's only six squares in the game, but there's 10 crowns. So it's like the epitome of that. And I think this is one of the most brilliant. And then everything else is a spectrum on this. The forest, there's slightly fewer squares overall in the game than the wheat and slightly more than the water, six crowns of both of those types. And I think to me, this is the brilliance of the design. This is what sets apart a Bruno Cathala game from someone else's game is how brilliantly and perfectly this spectrum of tiles are designed to create this tension of wanting things, allowing the sort of crown scoring system of the potential of tiles to be a huge scoring potential or really small, depending on who gets it, right? Like you could hate draft a, a crown on a water tile for me, Jake, and get one point from it. But if you gave it to me, it could be worth 15 points. Or twenty points that creates a really that creates the right. interesting decisions. I can't I can't tell you how many times I've looked down my board at the end of the game and I've got this like beautiful section of like ten wheat squares all next to each other and like zero crowns. Yeah, because oh. it's, just, it's like it's so brutal uh, because you know once you, at a certain point of the game, right, like you've created such a strong incentive for your opponent to hate draft those tiles from you. Right. Yep. If you know, if you spend too much time early, like building out this, like, well, eventually I'll get one, <laughs> you know, or two. And then it's it's too late or you're forced to like, it's just not happening. So then you're forced to close off that section to score some other tiles. It, you know, it is interesting for sure. Um, so I do. I think you said there's 100 tiles. But there's 48 tiles in the game. Right. I think. Are there? I think I'm think pretty sure more than that. I thought there are 100 because if there's four players and it's a five by five. Oh wait, no, you're right. Yeah, there's not that many. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Um, but anyway, that, that's a small point. What is interesting, though, I'm looking at the actual uh, tiles uh, composition um, 
on, on our note sheet here. And it's definitely like would significantly like impact your game and decisions to like know about these tiles. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and if it, there's only 48, it's not like it's impossible to get there. Um, and I also think it's interesting that like a lot of my games I've played, like certain tiles do tend to like, I think like pair up, make like nice mm. pairs together. Like for example, the, uh, water and forest tiles like almost all of or every single one of the no sorry not the majority of the water scoring tiles the tiles with crowns all have forests on them yep um so if you know that right it makes sense to be like trying to create these spaces where you have forests and water tiles next to each other uh to, to potentially reap like the double benefit of that um you know, and I've also seen, and, and for whatever reason, like, it does seem like a lot of my games, I've ended up going with, like, a strategy of, like, the uh, green pasture land and the wasteland together. And for whatever reason, it just seemed like those tiles were kind of flowing to me. And now that I'm looking at this, I'm like, oh, well, like, you know, it, it kind of makes sense because half of the uh, wasteland crowns are, are attached to the pasture lands. You know, and that was something I didn't really know ahead of time. But it's like, it does feel like the way these are constructed are sort of forcing you into different paths. In a way, it's like the opposite of signposting, right? Because there's no signs. We're just being shepherded by Bruno Cathala down these paths where because these tile types are juxtaposed, like on your example, the wasteland crowns being directly next to the grassland, uh, the green next to the brown, it, you're not like... you're not told by some mechanism outside the game that like these might generally be good look at that they will give you the points they're good it just the game says like okay you're taking these two together it's creating this natural desire in the course of play to put them together that's really it feels organic and interesting in a way that it helps newer players and then adds depth for players who are who actually know the tile set and know what's there and what you could take or or might not take i think quickly too just because I want to make this point previously when you were talking about the potential value of tiles and like, oh, I have all these wheat squares and no crowns. Um, I think my, my math too got confused because it's 96 squares on 40. Yeah, for, well, it doesn't matter. 48 tiles and then four castle tiles. But my point was going to be that we talked about like an Imhotep last week. The average value of a turn feels pretty consistently like between like one and three points or something. In King Domino, the average value of a turn is like between zero and up to 20. Just yeah. And that really impacts the feel of the decision space because you have those turns of elation where you just place a tile down, you see the crowns in the number of spaces, you know you're getting a ton of points, like a crush of points, 15, 20 points. And then you also have those turns where you're just like, oh, wow, I did nothing. I took two tiles that I literally had to place next to things that will never end up having crowns. And I'm just like treading water drowning while my opponents are building these beautiful kingdoms. But I think that is a great point um, to bring up. And, and it's, it's also is like so essential to how much fun and yeah. tense the, the drafting part of the game is. Because if, if, if there weren't such massive swings then you'd be a lot less incentivized to take the early tile to, to give yourself the potential of all these points if that specific tile came up um, than you would if points were, I guess, like on a tighter band. Um, so, I mean, I think, again, like that's just 
a credit to to the designer to to create like such a fun uh, a play space. And that's what makes the game so interesting too. It's like in a lot of games, they're skill testing your ability to evaluate how to evaluate set values of points, right? Like in some of the Euro games that we play, it's pretty easy to look and say like, okay, on average, this decision would net me seven points and would net Jake five points if I let him take it. So I'll take it because it's going to net me more points than it would give Jake if he took it. Um, And I'm not going to be giving up more. But in King Domino, you're always juxtaposing and evaluating potentials. And that's what makes the decision space so deep for me is, you know, like... (laughs) Your every decision you make in terms of tile drafting in the first half of the game is basically a wager on if you'll get the tiles that you need to have it pay off. So the decisions are, yes, this tile could be good for me, but you're also trying to decide, is it going to be good enough on average that it's better than every decision Jake made to get me to the point where I'm winning? Or is it not good enough and I have to see that. And I feel like that evaluating of potentialities in this simple, simple game, just that's what makes it endlessly delicious to me definitely um let's talk a little bit about a little bit more about uh kind of the this i guess sorry before i move forward is there anything else you want to say about like the scoring system in this game i feel like we've mostly covered the scoring system the crown design is just brilliant like there's a the game is so much less interesting like you said if there's just points on tiles like it's so brilliant and it's also simple there's a little bit of arithmetic that's annoying at the end, but like, it's fine. It's easy enough to teach to someone and it's conceptually grokkable pretty quickly. Uh, it's just like, ooh, chef's kiss. Bruno Catholic, you're too good. <laughs> yeah, I agree that the scoring definitely, definitely makes the game. Um, and also, to, you know, just like, again, you know, the way that the car, the tie, just to be, you know, uh, ex- especially clear on this point, the tiles that have the crowns on them tend to be higher numbered than mm. ones without. Yes. So you're always in a situation in every single draft phase where like by taking points, there is a trade-off of, you know, opportunity. Um, and even if like only, you know, high numbered tiles come up, you know, typically that means you'll be taking one crown as opposed to like two or even three crowns. Um, and then going later on. So like there is just like this like amazing inherent trade off in a different portion of the game uh, when you think about like scoring at the end game. And, uh, you know, trade offs are honestly like synonymous with fun, interesting decisions. I think that's kind of like one of the key learnings from our overall exploration decision space. And that's just like a fantastic example, if not even like a, sl- a little bit hidden. Yeah. Um it's still going to be something that like a new player is going to, you know, immediately see after like, you know, two turns into the game. You just said something that so much excites me about the system here too, that's slightly hidden that I would love for us to talk about, which is the potential for any given random flop of tiles to be completely incredible or pretty dumpy. And to me, that's so cool, right? Like, because on a given turn of a game, you might have four tiles come out that are, let's say you get one, two, three, and four. They're like mostly doubles. They don't have any crowns. They're, the difference in potential points early on in the game is like basically nothing. So then it, it's like, that's interesting because the it's so similar, homogeneous. And then the potential, like you said, if they all flop and they're all really strong points giving tile, and that's a potential turn where you don't have to trade that much tempo to get a ton of points, that can feel amazing. And I think 
that to me is so interesting and that the game can handle that in such a a simple environment like the the systems integrate so perfectly that there's I don't know. Every game feels so different because that combination of 48 tiles is never going to be the same. Yeah. And it did take us a long time to get here, but let it be known that like this, the flop is a huge infusion of randomness that makes every other decision in the game fuzzy in that way, which I think is like absolutely essential for a game that I would recommend to play with new players. Because it definitely means, you know, you could have all the strategy in the world, um, you know, and be a really expert level to play. You could, this is definitely a game you could lose to somebody on their first try just based on flops uh, and the way something coming out. Maybe it's pretty unlikely in like the Mighty Duel variant, but it's certainly not in like a three or four player game, um, you know, I when think, you're just doing the five by five. I think that's what sets the Mighty Duel variant apart so much too, is just how skill testing it is. Because playing against people, I've gotten to around, 200 ELO in there. So it's like average, right? Like that gives you like the the quote unquote good player tag. But I I cannot beat people better than, than 300 or and let alone 400. Like I will never beat one of those players because their ability to evaluate the tiles. And maybe I would if I played the game more, studied it more, practiced it more. But their vil- ability to evaluate any given flop of tiles and to know if this is the moment to trade tempo for scoring is so much stronger. And that skill is so fuzzy that like, I think that we've talked like in a given game based on its randomness, how much is someone going to win? And I think King Domino and 7x7 Mighty Duel is a high randomness, high skill game where the better player wins 95% of the time, maybe even yeah. more. That's, that's, that's wild. That is crazy um, because there are huge like random things that could be like really bad. Like you could definitely get bad luck in this game. You know, take the example you gave at the very beginning, like the key trade off of this game. Do I give up uh, points now to have a better shot at good tiles later? Uh, and if you make that choice to, you know, which could certainly be the optimal choice based on the game state um, and knowledge of what's left in the stack. Um, and it just flips like, you know, like one of those it could honestly it could be either all low numbered tiles that don't award crowns or all high number tiles that do award crowns like both of those feel really bad for the first player because like no matter what like you're just your advantage over the other players is so is small like yeah. you know um so i just think that is it's definitely worth pointing out like that there is this randomness there and, and certainly a bigger factor in the multiplayer variant because you're just not getting to use as many of the tiles in the game you have less choices and left opportunity to like make plays that set yourself apart from the other players one thing that's so interesting too about the difference between the three two three and four player variant and the two player variant is the way in which the the math works out because there's fewer tiles out the crowns on the grasslands and the wastelands and the mountains kind of feel like they matter more whereas in the two player variant i feel like so many of the points are hidden behind the wheat and the forests uh, and the water is really good too and you want those but the decisions you're generally willing to uh, accept them when they come your way, but you're not going to seek them out in terms of getting a lot of points. Whereas in the two player variant, 
we've played a game, or excuse me, the four-player variant, we've played games where someone will just get stuck in that last pick slot, right? Because if you go last and you're going to pick last the next round and everyone picks one of the first three tiles again, you just get locked right into that last spot again. And that could be potentially a really feel-bad moment because you're not making decisions in the game. If you're last and you're forced to go last again by everyone else picking one through three, you just, okay, I, I don't have a choice. Put mine on the fourth one. That's see what happens next turn. That can happen. You can get locked in, but you can also win games that way. If your opponents just give you all the mountain tiles in the in a three or four player game, you're probably going to win. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, I know uh, we played a game with Aurora in our Discord uh, where that happened to her and, and, and you know, she wasn't happy about it, but did like dominate the game. The game yeah. you know? and, and, you know, and I think that's something like where uh, really, you know, skilled experienced gamer is going to take issue with the fact that they don't get to make as many decisions as other players and, and for that reason not have much fun i promise you like when you're playing this game with like uh new gamers and that happens to them like it's a feel good moment if anything you know because it's like well great like that's exactly what i want like you're getting the most valuable tile when that's happening you still get to make choices about placing it so i actually i don't feel like that's a big drawback uh in the multiplayer version of the game perhaps other people would feel differently um i think the tiles are just designed so perfectly that it's not like somehow it it works like because if you i mean there's flops that come out right like where the tiles could that we were just talking about the tiles could be consistently bad enough that it could feel bad but i don't think that's going to happen consistently enough that'd be like one turn out of the whole game yeah yeah and if you you know oh man that's too bad I didn't get to play that much. Like, okay, well, you're out 15 minutes, which yeah. again, I think like that's such an important factor when you think about you know somebody essentially getting skipped for like one half of one turn. Um, you know, it just doesn't feel like that's something that like rises to like the level that I want. I would have a big issue with it. Totally. Can we talk about one potential tactics play as we start to wind down the episode? That's a good example of like the depth available in the game that I didn't consider until I did it against someone else in the game. Yes, please gloat to all of us about your brilliant play. Okay, so the one time I was playing this game, uh, Async on Board Game Arena, and I was playing against someone who is 200 ELO points better than me. So the advantage feels massive in terms that they have in their ability to navigate the decisions in the game over me. As we play the game, it comes out that they really need, they've locked themselves into that situation that we talked about earlier, Jake, where they have lots of wheat tiles, but they don't have a way to score them. So a single wheat tile for them with a crown on them, one of those juicy windmills is going to be like 20 points for them. And it was a tight game. We were within like five points of each other. So I was feeling really excited. It got down to the last turn of the game. And I knew in the final tiles, the tiles that were available were going to be Uh, one of them would contain a windmill. But on the turn before, I had to give up the first player tempo to get something that I needed. And basically, but I had the second and third spot. So I was going to pick second and third and they were going to pick first and fourth. Um, So the way that this ended up working, they had pruned their board down enough. And an important rule that you should know is if you can't validly place a tile, if you can validly place a tile in King Domino, you have to place it. So they took their first pick and they, uh, two windmills flopped, I believe. So there was also a double wheat. So they picked one of the windmills and then, but they only had one of the locations to put, um, to put a windmill tile on their board. So 
Basically, the way that I drafted, I blocked all of the other tiles because they had the first and the fourth pick, such that they had to pick the double wheat, and they only had one location on their board where they could place a wheat tile. So they were forced, because of the tile order, to place the double wheat into their board, blocking their ability to place the crown to score them, and then they had to discard the crowns because... The optimal play for them in that situation, like they, they had already boxed themselves out of it, but that tactic of forcing them to pick the double wheat that felt like it would be really good for them blocked the wheat tile. I, I don't know. That's like the depth. Did that story even like make sense? As I it makes it? sense to me. I, I totally I, I understand it. Um, having played, played the, the game, game. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully others will as well. I think it's pretty clear, and it definitely shows like there are levels to the way what you're thinking about as you're drafting tiles for sure and it was and it also points out like the the sequencing of you don't place a tile just the the tile that you drafted first you place the tile the lowest numbered tile that you drafted first uh and you have to and that could potentially uh you know in rare circumstances really impact the game as it did here so I think that moment too was one of the moments where I realized like, oh, this is, there's a lot more depth here than it felt like there might be on face value just with the way the systems interact. Yeah. Uh, on kind of our closing thoughts here, you know, we've been taught, we've been assuming that we're playing with the variants, the middle kingdom where you have to have, or you don't have to, you want to have your uh, starting tile in the very middle of your kingdom at the end of the game for bonus points, as well as harmony where you have to, uh, use every tile um without discarding any to get bonus points um do you do you have any like i kind of feel like these are both good uh and yeah. and, and I, I i always play with them when i'm playing at home uh harmony i think like the the middle kingdom one i, I guess i should say harmony where it's like if you play without discarding any tile that definitely feels like that deserves bonus points like you you've thought it out well you've accomplished this thing and you know the game rewarding you for it to me is like that's great no issues that the middle kingdom one i'm kind of like a little bit more iffy on like because i think in some ways like it could allow for more interesting creative plays where perhaps you could like get like bigger uh, areas of single tiles like without going for that uh but i you know the fact that like you have to give up all these points to do it makes me not want to like explore that as much so i'm a little bit like unsure on that one so what interestingly i've played with it both ways a fair amount and i feel like it's good in that it in that little constraint makes the decision space much tighter and it makes the tiling a little bit more punishing in a way that raises the skill ceiling where if you don't play with it on and you don't tile to seven by seven in any one direction immediately in the mighty duel version there's the ability to bail yourself out depending on the tiles that you get a little bit that makes it feel more casual i think both of these rules were probably set rules in the game and then when they wanted to position it as a family game made them optional variants because ostensibly like you can play a really easy laid-back version of king domino without these rules but i don't think anyone should be surprised that on the decision space podcast we're fans of these variants that make the decision space more interesting and raise the skill ceiling of the game. Totally. All right. Well, this has been a great discussion, Brendan. Uh, everything King Domino. Do you have any final thoughts uh, for this game before we close out here? Or have you I got think, it all off your chest? 
I think I've mostly gotten it off my chest, but I will say, I think if anyone's ever played King Domino and only played it at three or four players, do yourself the favor and play it at two players and play, if you feel like playing a competitive game and investing, just try to see it with fresh eyes because I think it really is sort of a different game experience that stands apart from the other game, which can feel a little more loosey-goosey in a way that might not appeal to you if you were looking for that really crunchy decision stake. I think for me, I uh, in this game, I'm like actually like standing apart from the tryhards a little bit, which is a unique position for me. I'm usually like full on. Yeah, what the heck, tryhard? <laughs> um, but I actually think like for me, the difference between the two player and, and four player variance this game isn't as big. Um, I really enjoy it at all player counts, and I think like the three and four player games are perhaps even better for uh new players it just takes the edge off a little bit um and and you can also play the two-player variant without using the mighty duel and i think that is a perfectly valid way to play and enjoy this game i know you're not saying that it isn't um but you know i really like this game always casually i'm not sure like for me for whatever reason maybe it's just because of like the idea that i'm not like good at spatial reasoning that like i just don't have like a lot of interest in like really learning all of the possible like patterns of creating this seven by seven grid uh, i like to just kind of like stay dumb to it in some ways and then like when i accomplish it i'm like sweet i guess i you know i add that to the memory banks and, and if not that's fine too um so i think for me like i'm going to continue enjoying this as a casual game primarily um and but you know so i I just wanted to put that out there like if that's how you enjoy this game like i think that is perfectly valid if you are you know if you want to seek out mastery of this system it's there for you but like i think for me uh, it's not one that i'm going to strive for that in love it i think we've captured the duality of king domino and the duality of ourselves as co-hosts all right well thank you all so much for listening to this episode of decision space you can find us on twitter we're trying to tweet a little bit more that's at decision spot that's decision spa uh, you can find brendan on twitter at burnside bh or i'm on twitter at jake freed that's j-a-k-e-f-r-y-d as always please do uh follow the link in the show notes to our discord where you can join in the conversation and play games with Brendan and I and, and perhaps inform us uh rightly uh about these upcoming games we'll be covering uh, Praga and Spirit Island we'd love to play with you we'd love to hear your thoughts so we don't embarrass ourselves by the saying oh like so and so spirit is overpowered <laughs> you know um and as always Oh, you can also, we always do uh, share our episodes as a blog on BGG. Brendan spends a lot of time putting those together, making them look nice. Please give us some thumbs. That's always wind in our sails or engage with us, with us there. We are very happy to uh, discuss with you there if that's your medium of choice. Um, and as always, we'll just wrap up by thanking Hembry for their hit song, reach out which they've generously allowed us to use as our intro and outro music goodbye everyone see you later Bye.